Hello, and welcome to the Kiskea Chapel Sermon Podcast. Kiskea Chapel is an international church in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, where we equip English-speaking believers to expand God's kingdom in our community and beyond. For more information about Kiskea Chapel, you can visit us on our website at kiskeachapel.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, so traditions, in general, traditions are good. Some traditions are good. Uh, some of you shared, anybody have an amazing story somebody shared with you about a family tradition or something their family does that you, you would like to embarrass the person who shared it with you? <laughs> anybody? No great traditions came out? All right, well then I'll, I get to share them then, okay? Uh, good traditions, the research is really clear. They help us know who we are. They help us know where we belong, and oftentimes in a community, they help us figure out what role do we play? What value do we have in the community? So Luke shared about, you know, in his family, it's take out the trash. So that's the role and value that Luke has, apparently. Uh, In fact, those who study healthy families, did you know that they found that the number one predictor of a healthy family is they had significant traditions? It's not that complex, they said. What they found was healthy families have all kinds of problems, but they have some things that hold them together as a family. Even if they have all kinds of conflict, they at least have some traditions that help them figure out, okay, this is who we are, this is where I belong, this is my family, my community, my people. Some traditions are very bizarre, but they're harmless. Like uh, put up, yeah, this is the first one. This is one of my favorite ones I read. Uh, A little girl saw her mother uh, cook a roast and she would cut the end of the roast off. Looked like perfectly good meat, but she'd cut it off. And so the little girl says, mama, why why do you cut the end of the roast off? She says, honey, that's the way you're supposed to do it. That's what grandma taught me. So the little girl goes in and finds grandma and says, grandma, why are you supposed to cut the end of the roast off? You know what grandma's answer was? I didn't have a pan big enough. <laughs> I just started cutting off the end of the roast so I could fit it in the pan. So this has been handed down by generations that you're, if you make a roast, you cut the end off. As though it was some important thing, but really it was just a silly thing. Or the story about the Kremlin guard. Uh, the Kremlin is the capital uh, area in Soviet Russia. And when, before it was the Soviet Union, when it was a monarchy, uh, they used to post a guard like right out in the middle of their grounds. And somebody said, why is it so important to guard this area? It doesn't seem strategic. Why do we have a guard out there? So the guard decided, I'm gonna do some research and find out why do we have a guard right out in the middle of the courtyard there? He found out, this is in 1903, he found out it went all the way back to the year 1776 when they had a queen by the name of Catherine the Great and she loved spring. And so one single flower had broken through the stones out in the courtyard and that was her first sign of spring so she put a guard there and said, guard this flower and make sure nobody tramples it. 
So for 200 years, they'd been posting a guard in that spot just in case another spring flower popped up. Okay, here's some other great ones. These I thought were really funny. In, in the country of Greece, uh, in America, when a child loses a tooth, is this true in Haiti when they, we do it where they put the tooth under their pillow and they get some coins for it? Uh, inflation's made it like a lot worse, you know, but do they do that in Haiti as well? They don't do that, they don't do anything when kids lose teeth. <laughs> okay, well, don't start. <laughs> Not a good tradition, but it's better than the Greek tradition. You know what the Greeks do when a kid loses teeth? They wake the child up, they take them outside, and they make them take the teeth and throw them on the roof of their house. The Greek, <laughs> that's true here? No, it is not. <laughs> so, so at some point there was a significant Greek population in Haiti. Maybe Haitians taught it to the Greeks. Makes more sense there. <laughs> well, that's a lot smarter than the American version. It costs us money when our kids lose teeth. <laughs> Here, just roof space. Okay, so Brazil, here's a good one in Brazil. There is a tribe in Brazil called the Satare Mawe, and when young boys become men, the tradition they have is they take them out in the woods and they have them plunge their hand into a basket filled with biting ants who have been starved for the past month. And so they just bite their arm just completely. That's their tradition. And again, it's one of those where you go, how did that get started? But it did. That's their tradition now. In Spain, there's a great one. It's called uh, La Tomatina in Spain. Uh, in America, we have snowball fights. I don't know, do you guys throw things at each other ever? <laughs> Kids throw rocks. <laughs> in Spain, they keep old tomatoes all year so that on one day of the year, they go out in the streets and they have a tomato fight. They throw rotten tomatoes at each other. That sounds like a fun tradition. I want to do that, <laughs> even though I don't want to smell the rotting tomatoes during the year. All right, last one is Germany. Before a wedding in Germany, all the friends and family find old dishes and pots and pans, anything made of glass, except you can't use a drinking glass. But everything else, they take over to the newlyweds' home that they're going to move into, and they smash them against the front of their house. And the tradition is that the couple, before they get married, they're supposed to clean up. Okay, and the Germans say, we do this because there are many difficult tasks in marriage, so let's get you started right off the bat learning how to clean up. <laughs> okay, whatever, I don't know what that is. That's a, kind of an odd one. <laughs> Traditions are fine. In fact, some of them are funny, some of them are harmless, occasionally they're harmful, but they're, they can be wonderful until they begin to undermine the truth. This is the basic principle that Jesus is going to talk about because the Jews in the first century had some significant traditions, and in fact, they made them laws. You had to do these things or you would 
experience scorn from the community if you did not keep these traditions. And Jesus doesn't keep some of their traditions, and they get very angry with him. So we're going to read that here in Mark chapter 7. Again, uh, Luke mentioned we're going through the Gospel of Mark together, and we do that. Uh, the AIM Journal is just a way of helping encourage you to do that. If you need more information about that, again, we can get you one of those. Uh, but you can study the book of Mark yourself. Uh, this week we're uh, finishing week five, so starting tomorrow we'll start, uh, actually we're finishing week six, tomorrow we start week seven. I think that's right, correct? Don't ask me, I'm the one that can't figure out when to dismiss the kids. Okay, so I'm going to read this. It's kind of a long passage, so I want you to stick with me here and read along. And then I'm going to try and explain, because some of these traditions, like the traditions I mentioned before, we don't quite understand why. Why, why do they have that tradition? So I'm going to see if I can give you a little background. Here's what it says, chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. The Pharisees and some teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Jesus replies, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as, is, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you, you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is now korban. Okay, I'm reading a different translation. That's the word in Hebrew, and I'll try and explain that in a minute. That is, it is a gift devoted to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, and this way you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Two times. Jesus underlines the principle that we're going to look at this morning. This is the summary of the whole thing. Jesus says in verse 8, you ignore God's laws and substitute your traditions. Verse 13, you cancel out the Word of God in order to hand down your traditions. So here's the principle. 
Jesus has a problem with tradition when it is used to undermine the truth. He's not anti-tradition. He's not saying traditioners are bad. He's saying there is a human tendency to take our traditions and exalt them above God's Word. And Jesus says, in that case, I reject your traditions. Therefore, my, my disciples do not wash their hands the way you think they should, and they don't do this weird thing called korban, which again in a second I'll explain. Those are the two issues that Jesus decides to confront them with, hand washing and korban. Those are the two issues. So let me see if I can give you a little background on this. It all starts off at the beginning of chapter 7 here. They send an official delegation from Jerusalem to check on Jesus. They're trying to find him trip up. Well, let's go see if we can find he's doing something wrong. And what do they come up with? Your guys don't wash their hands correctly. It's like, really? Uh, uh, my middle son, he's, he's kind of a rebel, but oftentimes in a good way. We sent him to a Christian school and they said, you must wear a tie and you must keep your, sh oh no, he didn't wear a tie. They, the shirt tail tucked in was the issue on it. He must always have his shirt tail tucked in. And I can remember my son confronting the teachers and saying, I do not think that Jesus died on the cross so that we keep our shirt tail tucked in. And so the principal's like, do you see what he's <laughs> pastor? And I'm like, ah, <laughs> okay, Corey, you're right, but this is not the right way to do it, okay? Standing up in class and going off on the teacher, probably not the way to do it, but a tradition had gotten exalted over God's commands. And, and my young son, he saw it. By the way, there are a whole lot of people who do not follow Jesus because they've been turned off by weirdo church traditions. They're not Jesus that turned them off. Actually, I became a Christian when I was in high school. I, I really wasn't interested in Jesus because I thought a lot of things church people did were weird and hypocritical. And then somebody asked me to read the Gospel of John. And for the first time I got confronted, not with church culture, but with Jesus. And I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Jesus wasn't a fan of their traditions either. I like Jesus. So I started going to a Bible study. Oops. <laughs> Very soon I found myself saying I was a follower of Jesus because I did not find that Jesus focused on stupid things like tucking your shirt in. The things that Jesus focused on to me were the right things. At one point, he confronts the Pharisees about this and he says, you guys strain out the gnats, but you swallow the camels. You get obsessed with stupid little things. But the big things like caring for the poor, loving your neighbor, honoring God with your finances, you don't do that. You're too caught up on how you wash your hands. Okay, so back to this here. Jesus is confronted. Why don't your guys wash their hands correctly? Now, I know on first reading, those of you who read this this week, you might have gone like, what's the big deal, Jesus? Just tell your disciples to wash their hands. I mean, isn't cleanliness next to godliness? 
not in the Bible. I don't know where that came from. Probably the same people that decided to throw teeth on the roof. Why doesn't Jesus just say, okay, whatever? Well, you need to understand the background for a Jew here. The Old Testament talks at length about God's holiness and that when we come into His presence, we're to come clean. This is not talking about so much like get the germs off your hands. It's saying come with a clean heart is what the Old Testament says. Now, it does tell us in Exodus 30 that uh, God commands when Aaron and the high priests come into the Holy of Holies that they should ceremonially wash their hands and their feet as a way of showing that God demands holiness. Somehow, over hundreds of years, the Jews decided, hmm, well, if it's good enough for the high priest, maybe we should make everybody wash their hands and feet. And then they said, let's come up with a correct way to do it. Even though the Old Testament says nothing about it. They came up with this bizarre approach to hand washing. Actually, the Jews had a book of tradition. It was supposed to be oral tradition, which is, I've always thought was weird. They had an oral tradition that they wrote down. Uh, the phrase up there is the halakha. Okay, in Hebrew, it just means the tradition. And this was seen by Jews in Jesus' day as almost equal to the written word of God. They say, oh, well, you can't understand the Word of God unless you read the halakha, the, the interpretation of the Word. So yes, it tells Aaron and the high priest to wash their hands and feet. The halakha is going to tell you how to wash your hands and feet. And so when Jesus uses the term in this passage, you set aside God's Word in order to follow the traditions of the elders, that's what He's talking about, the halakha. And Jesus says, no, I don't have a problem that you have a book that's helping people apply the Bible in their lives. But once you make it equal to God's Word or even above God's Word, I don't like your tradition anymore. Your tradition is undermining the truth. Take a look at this quote. Uh, American author Somerset Mom used to put it this way, tradition is to be a guide not a jailer. And what had gone on here with the Pharisees, they'd gotten jailed by their very traditions. Now, if you don't kind of see that, let me go through with you what they did. Because at first when you read this passage, you think, what's the big deal? Wash your hands before a meal? Most cultures go like, yeah, you probably ought to wash your hands before you eat. That's not what they're talking about here. Okay, let me give you the, the Halakha's version of how you're supposed to wash your hands. Jump to the next slide. Basically, it was a five-step dance that you're supposed to do. The first thing you were supposed to do is only use water set apart in a special container. Some of you may remember in the Gospel of John, Jesus' first miracle is turning ceremonial water into wine. What's the ceremonial water supposed to be for? Hand washing. So they're asking Jesus, why don't you have this large stone jar of ceremonially blessed water that your disciples wash their hands with? That's number one. 
Number two step. You're supposed to use, this is what the Holocaust says, you're supposed to use the exact correct amount of water, which they said was one and a half eggshells of water. Don't ask me how that tradition came up, I have no idea. Supposed to use one and a half eggshells of water to wash your hands. Number three, you were supposed to start with your hands, fingers pointed up, and they were supposed to pour the eggshell of water over both hands. Okay? That's number three. Uh, then number four, you're supposed to, cl- as the water rolls down, you're supposed to clean the palms of your hand by doing this grinding each palm. Again, I have no idea where that came from. And then the fifth step was you're supposed to put your hands with the fingers pointed down and they pour the rest of the water over your hands and you let them dry. Now you've ceremoniously washed your hands correctly. So when they say to Jesus, why don't your disciples wash their hands right? That's what they're asking him. Why don't they do the five step hand washing that the halakha has been very clear about how you're supposed to do this. Now, this isn't the only thing. There are many traditions like that. In fact, I read a fantastic book a few years ago by Donald Craybill called The Upside Down Kingdom, in which he researches some of the other things. Did you know that they had a tradition because God says, set apart the Sabbath and keep it holy? But he doesn't say a whole bunch of specific things about it. But the halakha does. One of the things it says, this is true, I'm not making this up, you go read it for yourself. You could travel on the Sabbath no more than 2,000 cubits from your home, which is about a half mile. That's it. That's as far as you can go on the Sabbath. Unless you, you established a second home. How'd you do that? Well, they would make a, like a sack lunch. They would walk a half mile away. They'd dig a hole in the ground. They'd bury the sack lunch. Now they have a second home. They could go a half mile to that sack lunch and then go a half mile from there. They could get wherever they wanted if they buried enough sack lunches. This is what tradition does. It's like, who came up with that system? That's one of the reasons that people that don't know Jesus sometimes are turned off. They hear stuff like that and they go, seriously, that's what God cares about? I don't believe that. It's kind of common sense not to believe that, isn't it? It's kind of like the German tradition of throwing plates at the newlyweds' front door. It's like, okay, but let's not try and make this like really important. It's not. Kind of a, maybe a fun tradition. All right, let's go on to the second example. uh, Verse nine through 13. This is talking about, again, the halakha has a a thing called korban, which means to devote. And so they came up with this idea that if you wanted to not give your money to your aging parents, you could go to the temple or the synagogue and say, I korban, I devote all my possessions to the church. And then when your parents said, we need help, you could say, I'm sorry, I can't. I've given it all to the church. But there was a little loophole in the deal. What would happen is the parents would die and a person would go and say, I'm taking the korban off of my money. Now it's all mine. (laughs) 
and they would usually pay the priest a little bit on the side, like, hey, thanks for helping me out. And Jesus says, guys, the command of God is clear. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. But you came up with a tradition that tries to get around God's command. This is not good tradition. It undermines the truth of God's word. Bizarre, bizarre that they actually did this, but we have historical records that tell us that in fact they did they did use korban. It was a very common thing for Jews to say, I'm not going to help my ailing parents because I've got this korban loophole. Started out good. In fact, you could see how it started, right? Started out initially thinking, hey, wouldn't it be good if we could get people to give more to the synagogue? <laughs> oh, I got an idea. We'll tell them they can devote everything to the synagogue. <laughs> That was probably the initial idea, and then somebody came along and went, oh, I think I can use this to avoid obeying God's clear word. Isn't that interesting? Tradition was used to undermine the truth. Uh, look at verse 13 there, <laughs> last line. And this is only one example, Jesus says. One of the reasons Jesus was crucified one of the reasons the Jews stood before Pontius Pilate and said, crucify him, is because he would not bow down to the Jewish traditions of the day. He wouldn't bow down to their Sabbath regulations. He wouldn't bow down to their hand-washing approach. He wouldn't bow down to Korban and many other things, apparently, that they said, Jesus, how come you don't follow our traditions here? Okay, so now let's talk about us, because it's easy for us to shake our head and say, wow, that's weird. Those weird Jews, what were they thinking there? I, I, I would never do anything like that. But I want to suggest to you that it's really, really easy for us to come up with our own traditions that undermine Scripture. This is one of the reasons we think it's so important that you don't just come and listen to sermons, but you read the Bible for yourself because there's no way you can discern what's just human tradition versus God's Word unless you know it for yourself. And I'm sorry to say, but oftentimes, you know who's the worst at starting new weird traditions? pastor guys. We oftentimes come up with these things. We had a good reason initially, but it eventually becomes something that undermines God's word. When, you know what I've heard in Haiti, maybe more than anything else from Haitians, they'll say, I'll say, so why'd you start coming to Kiskea Chapel? You know, by far, you know what the number one answer I hear is? I don't have to have special clothes. How did that tradition ever get started? I can kind of see it. Maybe some weird Western missionaries came down years ago and they wore ties and suit jackets and they said, this is the way you should dress in church. It has nothing to do with the Bible. There isn't anything about it in the Bible. I can remember as a young man, that was one of the things that bothered me about church in America. Why do I need to wear a suit? I don't wear suits. I don't have a tie even. I don't have a problem with suits. I just 
not going to spend the money on it. I didn't understand why that was part of church. Then I went to a church where they were like, oh, that guy's wearing shorts and sandals. What? Is that okay? Well, the more I got to know God's Word, it was like, God doesn't seem very interested in that. It doesn't have any like, make sure you wear these shoes to church. It's not in there. And yet, people can get so committed to it. I understand how. Probably once upon a time in Haiti, somebody said, well, you know, we're honoring God, so you should wear your best clothes. That's probably how it started, right? That's not bad. I get that concept. Except as times change and things change, you know, one of the first things that stuck out to me is, I'm looking at people in Haiti that I've begun to meet that go like, I don't have the money for that. I'm like, wow. So they're locking out the poor from hearing the gospel about Jesus because they don't have the right shoes. It's like, what? This is wrong. This is just wrong. There's no other way to put it. Also, there are people who go, that is not my best. If someone said to me, wear your best to honor the Lord, I would not think suit and tie. It's not what I would consider my best. I would consider that something being fake. Oh, I'm going to show up and pretend something for a while. Even though I know God wants my sincerity. He doesn't want my clothes. He wants the sincere heart before Him. Well, look, it happens everywhere. It happens everywhere. Think about Christmas. There is no arena of church life in the Western Hemisphere, at least today, that's more bizarre. It's not bad. It's only bad when it gets exalted over biblical tradition. Think about it for a second. Giving Christmas presents. Okay, we're celebrating Jesus' birthday. Have you ever gone to a birthday where people give each other gifts and they, none of them give anything to the kid's birthday? That's bizarre. How did we get that? I don't know. Probably initially somebody thought, you know, Jesus gave everything and so to symbolize that, let's give each other gifts. Wow. Nothing wrong with the original idea. Somehow the tradition started undermining. Think about things like Christmas trees. What? What does that have to do with the Bible? Do you know that Jesus was born in a desert climate? No Christmas trees. You know, the whole idea of, you know, we have paintings of snow falling. <laughs> snow, snow falling where Jesus was born, ever. Maybe, maybe once in history. But we hang on to, again, they're not bad traditions, but we hang on to them as though they're really important. And the really important stuff about celebrating Jesus' birth, we forget. Think about, we're coming up to Easter. I don't know yet about Haitian traditions. Do you know what the tradition is in America? Talk about bunny rabbits and put candy in eggs and hide them so the kids can find them. What does that have to do with the resurrection of Jesus? 
Well, I'm sure somebody originally had a good idea. But somewhere along the line, we started exalting tradition over Scripture. I read a book called uh, Pagan Christianity by a historian named Frank Viola. He talks about many church traditions and where they came from. You know, today we talk about where's the pulpit? Did you know the pulpit is, it's not even mentioned anything like a pulpit in the Bible. You know where that comes from? Roman government. The Romans used to use pulpits. The dress, kind of the weird hats and the robes and stuff that oftentimes Catholic or Episcopal bishops will wear. Do you know what those are? Those are Roman governmental costumes. Completely Roman. We can get, we can get descriptions of Roman officials and the description of how they're dressed sounds like a 20th century Catholic bishop. You're like, uh, let's stop pretending this is from the Bible. It's not necessarily bad. Maybe they thought, ooh, those Roman costumes look cool. Let's wear those. Okay. The problem is when people try and exalt it to the level of Scripture. All right, now let me get, with my last shot, let me get personal here because my guess is is that all of you are going, yeah, yeah, people do that, people do that. I'm talking about you and me too. Like here's one recently that I've noticed. The next, the younger generation has tended to say, well, I don't have to go to a building to worship God. I go, you're right. There's nothing in the Bible that says you have to go to a building. So many people conclude Therefore, I will stay home and sleep in, or I will watch sermons on the internet, or I will YouTube a bunch of worship videos. Let me tell you, that is the exaltation of human tradition over God's Word. If you don't believe me, take a look at Hebrews chapter 10 here. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I don't care whether it's Wednesday night, Thursday morning, Sunday morning, I don't care. I don't care if it's under a tree, in a building, those are not things that are mentioned in the scriptures. But the idea that the people of God will gather together to worship God is not human tradition. It is the express and consistent exhortation of Scripture from beginning to end. In fact, in the book of Revelation, when we get a picture of what eternity will look like, it's not everybody sitting at home watching sermons on their phone. It is the entire congregation falling on their face before Jesus and crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and neglect meeting together. And you can tell yourself whatever you want. Oh, well, it's a new day. You know, I can do this online. I can stay home and me and two friends can do. At some point, you have to entertain the fact that God's word says no. You must be a part of a congregation of people who worship the Lord together and encourage one another to follow Jesus. You can't do it. I know probably some of us are sitting here going like, I've become kind of, you know, I show up to church if I don't have anything else going on. 
the consistent, by the way, do you know what the book of Acts says about gathering together? Read it, Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4. Over and over it says they met together how often? Daily. It says it like seven times. Daily they got together. Daily, daily, daily. And we have in the West, we've developed this new tradition that you can show up uh, to a building uh, maybe once a month on a Sunday and go like, yeah, yeah, check, got that done. Worship is not for us. Worship is for us together as the community to say, God, you are worth our worship. You are worth our sacrifice. This is not the tradition of men. This is what the scriptures call us to do and be. So I would exhort you today, do not let tradition jail you, whatever it is. I don't care whether, there's nothing in the Bible that says we should have a solo piano or we should have 40 singers or we should play rock and roll or compa, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. And therefore scripture doesn't talk about it. It talks about our hearts. So in conclusion, I want you to see the verse that Jesus quotes when these guys come and say, hey, how come your guys don't wash their hands right? And, and you know, why don't they do things the way we do them? Look at what Jesus quotes to them from the book of Isaiah. Can you jump? Yeah, uh, yeah here we go. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. And then he quotes Isaiah. Listen to what Isaiah said. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, it's phony. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Is your worship a farce? Are you just doing what you think churches or other groups want you to do? Or are you responding to God's word not just with your lips, but with your heart. I, I think that Haitians are much like Americans here. In America, 84% of people call themselves Christians. Their lips give service to God, but their hearts are far away. If as many people in Haiti who say they are Christians give lip service, if their hearts were right, I believe firmly Haiti would be completely different country today. I believe that. And so we have to start saying, folks, this is about our hearts. It's not about our buildings. It's not about how we dress. It's not about what music we play. It is about our hearts. Otherwise, it's a farce. I'm praying that here Kea, we don't put on a show. <laughs> But that we go, okay, we must come together as the community of God and worship wholeheartedly before the Lord. If you're with me, pray with me. Father, I am so prone to look at the culture and do what they think I ought to do. I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me. Forgive me for giving honor to the traditions of men and neglecting your word. Lord, I don't know all the things that hand-washing type stuff that I do, 
But I know it's there, Father. I know that much of my life is about following traditions rather than honoring your word. Don't let us fall into the trap, the jail of exalting tradition over your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message was helpful for you. If you're in Haiti, join us on Sunday mornings where English speakers from all backgrounds, missionaries, diplomats, Haitians, expats, come together to worship, to connect, and to have fellowship with one another. You can find more information about our location, our service times, and our Sunday school program for all ages at our website at kiskeachapel.org. Or shoot us an email at chapelq at gmail.com. That's chapelq at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.